Welcome to Red Star Reviews, the podcast, episode 15, Fantastical Flights of Fantasy. I think I'm going to stick with that title name. Either that or just go to Fantastical Fantasy, because, hey, why not have some fun with titles? Okay, so this episode, um, I want to just talk about fantasy books, and I got a stack of fantasy books that I set down in front of me, and I'm looking at it, and I'm looking over my shelves and seeing how many other fantasy series and books I have all around, and realizing that there's no way for me just to encompass all of the fantasy stories and fantasy books that I love. But I am asked often by people, um, what's a good fantasy series to start with? What's a good introduction to fantasy? Um, What books might interest me in fantasy? And I don't really always have a good answer for that um, because I've been reading it for so long that it's kind of hard for me to put myself on the outside looking in with fantasy and say, oh, though this is a good introduction to it because I've been just immersed in fantasy since I started reading. So I think I'm very biased when it comes to it. So instead of hey, here's a good intro to it. I thought a better way to do that, because I like the idea of that story, that subject. I thought a better way to do that might be to introduce fantasy and to kind of talk about how I got into fantasy and kind of how my path through fantasy books has gone. Um, hopefully that's interesting. We'll see. But uh, <clears throat> a quick look at fantasy. Fantasy is broken down into a few different categories. I'm sure there's a ton of subcategories, and I'm going to leave several out. But the high points um, are these. And since I said high points, we'll start off with this. High fantasy is normally what most people think of when they think of fantasy. High fantasy is something like Lord of the Rings. Um, It is filled with elegant prose. There's prophecy. There's heroes. A lot of third-person perspective. Um... It's a good versus evil in a whole separate world that's created and separate from our reality. There's no connection between our world and their world. Or, like in the time of Tolkien, what they do is they throw it so far back into supposed ancient world history. So it's um, well before our true history starts because Tolkien wanted to combine the two worlds. Um, But the concept is you have a completely separate world with its own systems and balances and governments and languages and existence. So there's no crossover between Earth and that fantasy world, right? That's high fantasy. Um, In high fantasy, you find a lot of tropes. That's often, um, you know, the peasant hero who somehow is vaguely related to some ancient king who saved the world is risen up to save the world. Normally they have a magic system. Uh, there's a lot of fell beasts and um, strong, brave warriors and um, wizards and musicians. And, you know, it's normally really good stuff. It's the sort of stuff that does appeal heavily to me. Um, a lot of high fantasy writers, I think they think you have to write your books as thousand page long tomes. Um, and have to write 10 books in your series to get all that world building across. 
And that's okay. Sometimes there's a call for that. Sometimes I really just want a standalone or a trilogy or a duology and move on. Other times you want 10 to 12 to 14 books. Um, But high fantasy examples are, like said, Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, Wheel of Time by Robert Jordan is another great example of it. Uh, You may have heard of Wheel of Time will be coming to television uh, they're making a TV adaptation of it. Um, I'm one of those. The books was better even before the TV show is out. <laughs> but um, for those who <clears throat> would rather, it will be a TV show that you can hopefully get into. Hopefully it'll be great. Uh, if, you, if you're like me and you prefer the books, which if you're listening to this podcast, odds are likely you prefer books. The Eye of the World is the very first book in Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series. I highly recommend it. It's 14 books long. Uh, unfortunately, Robert Jordan passed away before he finished it, but he left copious notes. And Brandon Sanderson took up the challenge <clears throat> with the blessing of Robert Jordan's spouse and finished the series for him. So there is an ending to it. Um, another example of that is the book that I'm reading right now, Cursed of the, Curse of the Mist Wraith by Jenny Wirtz. Uh, the Wars of Light and Shadow, those are definitely high fantasy. Um, they are excellent. They're really well done, highly enjoyable. Um, but uh, you get the picture. It's something that is set separate from this world and has its own encompassed world. Well, there's another uh, subgenre in there, and it's called, uh, you know, Grimdark Fantasy. Well, Grimdark Fantasy often has its own world and its own realm and its own magic system, so why isn't it high fantasy? Well, Grimdark Fantasy isn't high fantasy because it's grim and dark. Um, Okay, that sounds really cheesy, I know. But y'all know I love um, Warhammer 40k. Warhammer 40k also has uh, their own branch of fantasy called just Warhammer. Fair enough. Um, But Warhammer and Warhammer 40k claim to have coined the term Grimdark. Because they claim that it's a grimdark world and grimdark future. Well, that's okay. However, it came into being. I love me some grimdark fantasy and grimdark sci-fi, but that's a whole nother podcast. Grimdark fantasy, though, is called grimdark fantasy because it's brutal. It's not happy. It's not nice. Um, It's separate from high fantasy in that in grimdark fantasy, well, in high fantasy, normally you have your hero or group of heroes who are struggling to rise above and better the world and make the world a better place and they're prophesied and they're chosen. Normally in grimdark fantasy, there are either very few heroes or no heroes. And normally they're anti-heroes, if they're anything. Um, So you're having to cheer for the lesser of the two villains, as it were. Um, It's not uplifting and cheery. Normally if there's a prophesied one in the first couple chapters, they're killed. Uh, and it's what happens after that. So in Tolkien, you're sitting there hoping that the good guys win, and even though the enemy is powerful, it's okay, we're going to hold out hope that the good guys might win. In Grimdark Fantasy, normally the good guys lost, and you're now reading what's after that. Um, Some great examples of Grimdark Fantasy. Joe Abercrombie is an excellent Grimdark Fantasy writer. Mark Lawrence Anna Smith Spark. These are just a few authors that spring to mind immediately. Um, their books are excellent. They're 
characters are nuanced and have depth. They're very enjoyable. <clears throat> but on top of grim dark fantasy, there's another type that often gets confused with grim dark fantasy, and that's dark fantasy. And dark fantasy, yes, can have grim dark elements, but dark fantasy tends to go more towards horror or horror um, than the grim part. It doesn't necessarily have to have the brutal knife battles that leave both characters missing five fingers and two toes. It's um, more of a dark forces of rising sort of book, I would say. Um, It's normally a little bit towards the magical end of things. And the heroes, again, are villains. There aren't any clear-cut heroes. Think Elric by Michael Moorcock, that series, um, where Elric is really not a hero, but he is a hero, but he serves the forces of darkness and chaos, um, which are not typically viewed to be the good forces. Or one of my favorite books, The Deadbringer by Ian Markoff, that would be a dark fantasy because um, there's darkness in the land. The power that the person, the primary person uses, the Deadbringer, is based off of death and bringing back, um, you know, I don't want to spoil too much of the book, but bring back uh, dead bodies and them obeying them. Um, something along those lines. Those tend to be dark fantasies where the main character um, has questionable powers that are tied to the dark arts. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be brutal violence, which normally that's what pushes the dark fantasy from dark fantasy over to grim dark. Plus, uh, dark fantasy normally is a little more, um, what's the word I'm looking for than grim dark? It's less brutal, more, uh, more focus. I want to say on magic. A lot of grim dark fantasy doesn't have a ton of magic in it. Um, or if they have magic in it, it's not necessarily the primary focus of the story, but again, genres bleed over and over. So, um, you'll find some books can fit into multiple categories. Another category is low fantasy. Yes, there is such a thing as low fantasy, low fantasy, as opposed to high fantasy has some connection with our world. I.e., you know, the stories where a person is taken from our world and walks through, say, a magical wardrobe and ends up in another fantastical realm. I'm sure none of you have ever heard of a story like that, right? Well, that's low fantasy, because low fantasy combines our world with another world um, and blends the two together to a degree, where the hero is jumping back and forth between the realms. That's low fantasy. And That'll also bring us to a confusing one where people are like, okay, so how does low fantasy and urban fantasy connect? Okay, well, low fantasy connects us to another fantastical world. Urban fantasy is fantasy set in our present world. So urban fantasy is an example of like the book I've been telling people about recently, uh, Running with the Demon by Terry Brooks which takes fantasy elements and puts them right into our present time or the gypsy by Stephen Brust. Um, those are some excellent examples. Oh, Stephen Brust and Emma Bull, I believe wrote the gypsy together. Those are some excellent examples of 
urban fantasy where it's right here in our world, in our time, fantastical, fantastical elements right beyond our ability to see, but some people can see them and are empowered by them and can utilize them. Um, and then one of the other primary types and the last time I'm thinking of mentioning is the sword and sorcery fantasy, which again, sword and sorcery fantasy um, can have bleed over into grim dark or into dark fantasy or into high fantasy. But sword and sorcery fantasy, the easiest example I can give you is Conan. Um, it's a mythical world where often a hero is set out to go on a quest. Um, typically, there is a magical sword and they have to overcome sorcery to go ahead and obtain their goals, i.e. sword and sorcery fantasy. So those are the primary types of fantasy you're going to run into. High fantasy, low fantasy, sword and sorcery fantasy, dark fantasy, and grim dark fantasy. Remember that there's a lot of bleed over from all of them. Um, but to move from there, this is kind of how I went on my fantastical journey myself. Um, all starts back in 1986 when um, a precocious little one insisted that he should be allowed to read The, um, the Lord of the Rings because I wanted to know what stories went with those covers. So, um, yeah, when I was eight years old, I uh, managed to tackle... J.R.R. Tolkien. I will not claim that I understood everything that I was reading, but I loved it, and it launched my reading career. Um, but I read The Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Unfinished Tales of Numenor Middle-Earth, and uh, The Silmarillion. Thought they were all excellent. Um, read through them a few times because, you know, back in the mid-80s, it wasn't like you could just go online and get new books all the time. You were a little bit more limited to what was immediately there. And as an eight-year-old, I really didn't have that much buying power to go ahead and buy more books anyways. But um, that introduced me to high fantasy. So that was my concept of what fantasy was. It was high fantasy. And from there, it just kind of grew. I went into sci-fi and fantasy and just read everything I could get a hold of my libraries. But the primary markers, I would say, the primary like authors that kind of carried me along after Tolkien, uh, there's a lot of books that I read, a lot of good ones, a lot of bad ones, just a lot of books. But one of the next authors that really stood out to me in the fantasy world was David Eddings. Um, David Eddings was a writer who tried his hand at literature and it didn't really work out for him, but he loved fantasy. So he decided he wanted to sit down and try and write some fantasy and try and develop a system or formula for how he felt fantasy should go. And um, a lot of people um, have read and loved David Eddings. His books, I find them to be very enjoyable. Um, they are very dry and very sarcastic. Uh, it made me feel like there should be another category, almost like sarcastic fantasy. Because in David Eddings' books, like every character is dry-witted and sarcastic. And it's like, well, maybe not everybody in the book should be. That can get a little bit um, boring and redundant. But it's enjoyable fantasy. Uh, if you ever want to check out any of his books, I highly recommend his two Sparhawk trilogies. Um, the first book you're going to want to pick up by Eddings is The Diamond Throne. Uh, it details uh, Brave Knight Sparhawk. Um, and it one thing about his, he really gets into the mechanics about what being a knight would be like and wearing armor 
and being about on horses, which I found very interesting. Um, but it details a brave knight, Sparhawk, uh, who sounds kind of like a Harrison Ford character, um, going back to the land where he was banished from to rescue the princess that he used to guard, um, who has been encased in the magical diamond throne and whose life is threatened and how he has to get together his old friends, battle his old enemies and try and rescue the queen. And that launches um, two trilogies off of that, which are just excellent, really enjoyable. I do highly recommend it. I love his magic systems. I love how he utilizes the divine and brings it into the everyday life of knights. It's very interesting. Um, but from David Eddings, I went from there and at one point in my mid-teen years, I found myself trying to make a decision between three authors. So I got the first books of what I thought was the start of their series and checked them all out from the library and tried making a decision. The decision I was facing was between Tad Williams, The Dragonbone Chair, um, book one of Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, Robert Jordan's Eye of the World, book one of The Wheel of Time, and then Terry Brooks, um, I went and got what I thought was the first of his books, and turns out I was wrong, but I had gotten The Silence of Shannara, which was the first of a quadrilogy of his books, but that took place after he had already written three books in the Shannara world, but I didn't know that at the time. Um, I was going off of what my library had. Uh, I sat down and had to make a decision between those three books, and um uh, any which way I went wouldn't have mattered. All of those were excellent, and all of those became favorite authors of mine. Robert Jordan and his Wheel of Time especially so. Um, when I started reading that, book five of the series, The Fires of Heaven, had just been published. Before book six was released, um, I had read books one through five of The Wheel of Time three times, um, because I just loved them so much and I was devouring them and I wasn't watching too much TV at that time. Again, uh, this is before the time of the internet and in my teen years, I somehow had a lot of time to read and I think I just rarely slept. Um, but I read books one through five three times. When book six came out, I was really excited. So I read books one through five one more time so that way I could go ahead and read all the books fresh and in order. And then when book seven came out, I decided to do the same thing. So I read books one through six and then read book seven. And then when book eight came out, I did the same. And so every time a new book came out in that series, I reread the whole series. Now I say reread, I did skip some parts that I thought were boring um, or that I thought weren't pertinent or I just didn't like the storyline. Um, but I read that series probably more than any other series that I own um, or have ever read. So it really meant a lot to me. I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, it's, I highly recommend it. One day, maybe I need to do a whole podcast just on the Wheel of Time. Um, but then that also left me with Tad Williams' trilogy, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn, which I read, and it's high fantasy, and it's really enjoyable. But when I was a teenager, I was a little bit frustrated because I wanted more action. I wanted more adventure. And though this had both action and adventure, it didn't quite have it to the level that I wanted it. Um, I tried connecting with Sealman Snowlock, the primary character, I thought. 
And because he was a teen, he was the coming of age, all that. And I didn't completely connect with him. Thought he was good, thought he was interesting, but I just didn't really fully appreciate the series. Then I went back and read it just a few years ago as an adult. And y'all, Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn is one of the most beautiful series that is written. That trilogy is so excellent. What I found was when I was a teenager, I was just, now this is just me personally. Some of y'all might have been the most in-touch teens and most woke teens. That's great. But as a teenager, I was just lacking some elements of compassion and grace and experience and knowledge that I needed to be able to fully appreciate that series. And what I found was after living quite a bit of life, I went back and read Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn. And it was so beautiful. It brought me to tears. And I connected with different characters in that story in a different way. And I just thought it was perfect. Now, I'm really excited because Tad Williams has actually written more in the world of Austin Ard that he created. And this year, I plan on reading the novella um, that bridges the two series and going further into that series. I'm really excited about it. The other I mentioned was Terry Brooks. I read his, um, it was a four book quadrilogy, um, four book series that takes place after his initial trilogy. So I read them out of order and I felt like, man, it really feels like there must be more story here than what I'm reading. Something must have happened beforehand. And then I found out about the trilogy, went back and read it. Um, I have to say a lot of people start with his opening trilogy. It's not a bad place to start. That's not his best writing. Um, the first book, The Sword of Shannara, it was as high fantasy as he could make it. He he really worked hard to make it like Tolkien. And it's nothing like the rest of his series. You see him slowly finding his voice in books two and books three. Um, although book two and book three had so much similarity to them for me that it just kind of was dull. But the quadrilogy, the four book series was just, it was awesome. Um, that was Signs of Shannara, uh, Druid of Shannara, Elf Queen of Shannara, and um, Talismans of Shannara. And that took them back to the world of Shannara. Years after the opening trilogy, new generations are here. They're battling old evils and trying to make sense of the world. And that's one thing I appreciated by Terry Brooks. He kept returning to Shannara with new generations showing what happened as a result of what his characters did. Um, I would classify it as high fantasy. The first book is probably the most high fantasy out of all of them. But all of them can fit into that category. Um, So still, I was in the worlds of the high fantasy and really enjoying it. Thought they were really good. Um, Years later, uh, I went went on a fantasy and sci-fi journey and went through all these different books But the next ones that really stood out were probably A Song of Ice and Fire by George R.R. Martin, um, which when I read that, it absolutely gripped me. It was another one like Wheel of Time where I would reread the entire series whenever a new book came out in that series. Um, So I've read that one several times as well. I watched the first season of the TV show and then quit watching. I don't want to know about the TV show, so I rarely talk about the books because everybody wants to talk about the TV show. I don't really want their interpretations of one of my favorite book series 
coloring my opinions because it happens easily for me when I watch it. You might be able to separate them. That's great. Enjoy whatever you want to enjoy. I'm just saying for me. Um, but A Song of Ice and Fire was also one of my introductions into the realms of grim dark fantasy. Because when you read Game of Thrones, it's brutal. No character is truly safe. You can't trust that that the heroes that you fall in love with early on are going to stay alive or die. And it just throws you into the most realistic possible world it can. Brutalizes it up a little bit. But um, yeah, that one really just introduced me to that realm of grimdark fantasy. So if you're wanting to go down a high fantasy path, Tolkien, Wheel of Time by Jordan, or Memory, Sorrow, and Thorn by Williams, David Eddings, those books, those will take you down a high fantasy path. A Song of Ice and Fire will take you down more of a grim fantasy path. Um, An author that kind of bridges the gap between the two of those is Raymond E. Feist. Um, His books, uh, The Rift Rift World, world of books. It's just a plethora of trilogies and quadrilogies and standalones all set in the same fantasy world that he created in a loose chronological fashion. Um, Similar Shannara, similar Shannara. He'll jump some generations and show you the effects of what's happening. So that's one of those that I I recommend reading chronologically for the most part. Um, There's a few series that you could just read just as standalones and get a feel for it. But it's high fantasy with an edge of grimdark to it. It's not really grimdark all the way, but it brings in more militaristic elements, um, more war, a little bit more um, brutal effects. The good guys are not always winning. Um, That's what you find with Raymond E. Fight. So if you want to bridge the gap between the two, that's a good gap bridger. But let's say you want to dive into grimdark fantasy. If you want to dive into grimdark fantasy, there's a couple ways you can go about it. Um, Well, there's several ways. You can pick up Mark Lawrence, his Prince of Thorns, and jump right into there, into the world of George, who is a brutal product of his environment. Um, He was brutalized, and as an effect, he's brutalizing the world. uh, But also, he, he may be the only one who could save the world, And so you end up having to cheer on an absolute villain, which is a difficult place to find yourself in. So for several people, that might not appeal. But that's what Grimdark Fantasy is. And also you get to see such character growth in George over the course of that trilogy. It's truly amazing what happens. But there's another Grimdark Fantasy author that a lot of people absolutely love. um, And I highly recommend. His name is Joe Abercrombie. Um, he has written many series or many books. Um, most are in his series, the first law series, uh, which are absolutely excellent. Starts with the blade itself. And I want to say he's written seven, maybe eight books in that world. Uh, starts with an opening trilogy. And then he writes standalones after that, that fit into the chronology of it. But an easier access to Joe Abercrombie that I truly enjoy and think a lot of people would really enjoy, um, you can pick up Half a King. Half a King starts a trilogy, and it is not exactly YA Grimdark, but it's kind of sold as YA Grimdark. Um, 
It is very interesting. It's tone. It's grim dark. Maybe a little toned back. I'm not really sure very much. But it's written. The first book is written from the perspective of a character with disabilities. The next one is written um, from the perspective of two characters, one male, one female, um, both primary protagonists, and you just kind of see the trilogy. You see the characters growing, the challenges that they face. Um, the strength they find within to try and overcome, but it's grimdark. So don't expect happiness and good endings. Um, It's quite brutal, but it is a very enjoyable trilogy. I highly recommend it as an introduction to Joe Abercrombie. If you like that, you'll probably really like the first Law series. One that I really recommend and really love, and y'all have heard me mention time and time again, is Brian Ruckley. He has a standalone called The Free, which you could just give a chance, give a read to. Most everyone I know who's uh, taken me up on that and read it absolutely love the free. Um, the characters are great. The story is great. Uh, but if you're wanting to dive just head first and not even just kind of put your toes in, but you want to go deeper into a story, his Godless World trilogy is phenomenal. Basically, in the Godless World trilogy, imagine a fantasy world that the gods all created They created different species and races of intelligent beings on this world. But then war broke out amongst the species on the world, the intelligent species. And they banded together and tried to completely commit genocide against the other ones. And the gods just got so frustrated that they left. They just, they washed their hands of this world and they departed from it. And now humanity is stuck there with other species Knowing that there are no more gods, there's no more afterlife, there's nothing. You have just this, and you're constantly threatened war with these other intelligent species. And then on top of it, there's a very religious group that believes if they can just kill off enough people, maybe they'll bring purity to the realm and bring the gods back. And in the midst of this emerges a magical being that just throws a wild card into everything, and it's... It's phenomenal. This series itself is the tr- is a trilogy, and it's brutal, and it's dark, and it's darkly moving, and it's beautiful. So if you're willing to jump headfirst on into a grim, dark world, I highly recommend that. The um, I dabbled in sword and sorcery for a little bit with Conan, um, found that that's hit or miss for me. Um, I like some Conan stories. I don't like others. It's neat concepts. I enjoy the world building, but I discovered quickly Sword and Sorcery isn't for me. As far as dark fantasy, I think for me, um, that's one that I can take a few from and leave. Like, I highly recommend Elric by Michael Moorcock. I think it's great. And the concept he has of an internal champion that bounces between every single one of his stories and ties all of his books together is neat. Um, I, I think that High fantasy with elements of dark fantasy weaved into it are excellent. Um, I like another one, uh, The Deadbringer, which kind of transcends a couple different fantasies I find really good. Um, if you're also looking for something that's elegant, proseful, um, and just interesting you, and grimdark, you need to pick up Anna Smith Sparks' uh, trilogy. It, it's absolutely great. It starts with a Court of Broken Knives, and it is it has its own rhythm that draws you in. Um, as far as low fantasy, I really don't read much low fantasy because I don't like 
mostly fantasy, honestly. I don't, I'm not reading fantasy to kind of see how we would fit into a fantasy world. So low fantasy doesn't appeal to me where they take someone from our age and put them into a fantasy realm and they're like, well, where's all the hamburgers and why don't we just solve this with guns? And it's just like, okay, this, I wanted to read this fantasy in another world. So that doesn't appeal to me. Urban fantasy is hit or miss. I find that I enjoy a really well done urban fantasy, but um, it kind of has to have its own rhythm that draws me out of this realm and puts it into that world. Um, so there you have it. There's some different types of fantasy. There's kind of how I got drawn into fantasy. A few good gateway books to consider. Um, if you want to know more, as always, feel free to message me. You can email me at redstarreviews at gmail.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter, um, Red Star Reviews, and let me know if you enjoy the show, as always. Um, please subscribe and uh, give positive reviews and all those stars and all that fun stuff and tell others about it. And again, a personal thank you. I appreciate each and every single one of you for listening to it. Um, This podcast is a joy of mine to create. It uh, is a great creative outlet that I I just have so much fun talking about books and sharing books with y'all and sharing a little piece of my life with all y'all. So I truly appreciate everyone who takes the time to listen to it and interact and that you allow me this part of your focus in life. I appreciate that truly. So thank you very much. Everyone stay well, stay healthy, and we'll see you again soon.